Hello, everyone, and welcome to Burned Ambition. I am Burn Beauty 2018, and I thank you so much for joining us for another episode. Um, today, we have a very special guest. This young lady has overcome so many obstacles, and I've watched her as a friend and follower on uh, my Instagram for the past year. And I've just been watching her do amazing things, you know, and, and I read her story um, last week and I realized how truly amazing she is. She is an overcomer. I would like to introduce you to Sanyelle. I'm going to bring her online. Hi, Sanyelle. How are you? Hey. I'm great. I feel so excited to be a part of your show. It's, I just feel amazed right now. Uh, I'm, I'm so happy to have you on this show because, you know, we do stories of overcomers. And I knew you were an overcomer because I know you're a multiple trauma survivor. You know, oh, yeah. I guess, you know, I think probably we all are, but you're a multiple major trauma survivor is what I want everyone to understand. And still, you have just like the best personality full of insight and optimism. And then when you just graduated college, uh, was so, like, oh, I was so happy. I wish I would have driven down there if I would have known. Because, I, had, I started to invite you, but I was like, I don't know, because I want to. It's okay. I would have had my husband just drive me right down there. But, you know, like seeing it online was just beautiful. I just seen my daughter graduate, and then you, and it was just like so, you know what I mean? Just so touching. So. Let me get out of my fields and <laughs> and well, um, I, I just tell your story any way you want, wherever you want to begin. Your, you know, where are you from, and how how did you get here? So, I would say that my story is very long and chaotic. You will laugh and maybe cry. I mostly laugh at it because most of it. Is somewhat funny, especially about the part about me smuggling my cat onto the Greyhound bus. Yes, I, I need to know about that. <laughs> that was hilarious. I always tell people that part because I was like, look, me and my cat, we had a conversation with one another. <laughs> and this is how I knew he understood what I say to him because he did exactly what I said. Exactly. You know what's interesting? My dog, I don't, I'm not going to interrupt your story again, but my pup, Grady, oh my he understands me because last week I had a Zoom meeting, say at 4.30, at 4.26, he starts barking. I start praying, please, 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 <laughs> please stop. <laughs> and uh, finally I said to him, Grady, we have a meeting. I have a meeting. It's very important. And he came in and he laid down on the rug behind me right here. Big mm -hmm. And he stayed quiet the whole time. Michael did the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. or, how did you, where are you from originally? So I'm originally from Albany, Georgia. Um, I was 
born during the 94 flood. Uh, the 94 flood of Albany, Georgia was a major natural disaster of my city. So half of the city was like underwater. Wow. Yeah. So that really put my mom under a lot of stress when she was pregnant with me. And I believe it resulted in me having being born with like a lot of health conditions. Mm -hmm. And so she couldn't have me at the Albany uh, Fidney Putney Hospital because it was overcrowded with people trying to escape from the flood. So I got, so I had to go to the Augusta um, Hospital and be born there. And so I was born there, and but I was born with a lot of health conditions. I was born with acid reflux and I had breathing problems because of the acid reflux. Doctors thought I had asthma on top of the acid reflux because I had difficulty breathing coming out. So this resorted to me having to be on a feeding tube mm -hmm. and be on a breathing on a breathing machine. So I was literally on life support as, as soon as I was born. Uh, right from the mm -hmm. beginning, you're on life support. And I totally understand. We have the same scar. You remember when mm -hmm. I met you because yeah. I, I yeah. have it right here. I have one. Mine's not as mine's not as pretty, but <laughs> that looks my tummy's not as pretty. But it's but I've got the same scar from uh, a PG tube or, or a G tube or whatever. I had mm -hmm. it in for a long time uh, after my burns. I couldn't eat or drink, so you had it right from day one. From the start, that way. And then, uh, how did you get? How did your health go throughout your childhood? Did it continue or was it like you left the hospital and then you were better? Well, you know, or did it continue? Well, from all the way from as a baby, I just stayed in the hospital. So oh. as a baby, I was just, that was just most of all my babyhood life that I was in the hospital. Um, doctors had to sit down and convince my mother that I had to have surgery or else, you know, I'll be dead because they say it's no way impossible that this baby is going to live if she has to be on a breathing machine 24-7 and on a feeding tube and she's still not eating enough because wow. I severely, I severely underweight because I couldn't swallow I couldn't eat um, on top of not breathing well. And so my mom, very hesitant, but, you know, in a crunch decision, like, you know, they say if my daughter don't have this surgery, she's going to die. But then again, the surgery itself was so risky. So the surgery that I had was for, um, if I remember correctly, is for GERD. And, um, this is when they, I still have the incision right here. You can see oh, yeah. uh, where they cut me open. Yeah. And that procedure was so extremely risky for me as a baby because I was but the small. Yeah. Um, and they, in the midst of them cutting me open, of, you know, fixing my um, intestines and then having a, I have, I still probably have stitches in, in my esophagus, esophagus um, too. 
And um, in the midst of surgery, I stopped breathing for a very long time. And that was really scary for my mom because she was right there in the outside window of the surgery table. And they almost announced me to be dead. I was that close to being dead. Luckily, because mm -hmm, I wasn't waking up in the middle of the surgery. And I guess because it was, you know, such a, a shock of a surgery for yeah. me, for my little young frail body, it probably couldn't really handle it. Yeah. But amazingly, I recovered back from the surgery. And so my recovery process was just as risky as the surgery process because this is where I end up getting uh, my medical burn, which is right here. Right. How did that happen? So after when I was recovering from my surgery from, from the um, acid reflux, um, I had a really bad nurse. Um, she was did not put in my medicine, my painkiller medicine, in my IV uh, properly. And so she, you can kind of see where the little dent area is at. I can probably. Yeah, I can see it. There it is. Yeah, right in here. What she's trying to get. Where it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when she, I think she put it in my hand improperly and it exploded. And that's why you see this all right here. Uh oh, hey, Michael. Oh, it's a durn. Hi, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's a chemical burn. Or a, mm -hmm. yeah, basically a chemical burn. Mm -hmm. You know, now I'm learning something about that because let's see if I can get mm -hmm. this camera. My right hand. Mm -hmm. Do you see that? Mm -hmm. And um, right here. Yeah. <laughs> right yeah. here. What am I doing? It's so hard, y'all. <laughs> Let me show you. My hand. <laughs> ah, there we go. <laughs> That is from an IV trying to be put in. It's not from fire. It's not from surgery. It's from the difficulties putting an IV in when we're mm -hmm. ill. So we have that in common too. So mm -hmm. I guess I didn't realize that that's a common thing. But in your hand, as a little tiny baby, then mm -hmm. this was really a big burn. Yeah, because they didn't really immediately treat it. They just wrapped it up because, uh -huh. again, my body was put placed in under another state of shock where uh -huh. I was just, I didn't wake up from that because I was probably in so much pain. Uh -huh. um, my mom witnessed that as well. And she, a lot of times I don't talk about the story around her because it, it just reminds her of the whole situation again because she saw the IV being slowly pulled from my skin and the skin coming off. Oh. Sorry to be graphic, but no, it, no, it, that hurts my heart. You know, being a mother, mm -hmm. you know, I have my son has some medical issues, um, like gastrointestinal Crohn's. He grew up with Crohn's, and it was always hard mm -hmm. for me to watch him when, like when he was little, uh, he was diagnosed very young. And when he was little, you know, he was terrified of the IVs that had to go in. 
and he would scream and cry and they would have to hold him down and I would just feel like helpless. You know, no matter what I said, I couldn't help him. And I just, uh, so sorry for that. I feel for yeah. you on that. I can, I, I get that. It's just it's yeah. not feeling, but so your surgery after you got out, that's when she was giving you the pain medicine mm -hmm. that your hand. Mm -hmm. And then what happened as you're recovering from the surgery and now a chemical burn? So once I got healed up from my surgical wounds and my medical accident, uh, my mom attempted to try to sue the hospital because of my burn. Yeah. Um, things did not go as planned because, um, well, my lawyer had died all of a sudden with a heart attack. That was weird. Um, but even then, um, the judge had already made up their mind of what they wanted to do with my case. And so they looked at it like this, like, well, she's healthy. She's alive. She's not disabled or anything. Yeah, she's burnt, but she's alive. And so my mom did not win the the, the lawsuit. And wow. so my mom, yeah, my mom was so hurt by that because she felt like, and she still talk about it to this day. She says um, she felt like a failure. And I always have to, you know, remind her, like, you did the best what you could do. I mean, this was out of your hands. And so I have to sometimes console her. her well, I think, though, that at least by having the um, strength just to bring the lawsuit, even though all those things happen, at least maybe you don't know who that made a difference for after you down the road, even though it didn't work out for you. She was a very strong woman standing up for you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I... So what, as you're getting older, let's say by the time you're five, are you, are you still dealing with the medical conditions or what's going on? So they did a good job with the surgery where I don't have any signs of acid reflux. Good. So I'm able to eat and drink normally. But the only thing about it is that I don't think I ever truly healed properly from the surgery. Well from my uh, feeding tube because I would still leak from it. On the outside, like outside your body? Yeah. So say for instance, if I was to drink too much uh, of water or something like that, it would leak out my, sh out my shirt. Oh no, mine never did that. that, that. Mine's did. Wow. So yeah. Yeah, it's leaking. Did you have to have any additional surgeries after that? No, my mom, after that incident, my mom was, like, very paranoid about taking me to the hospital mm -hmm. for surgeries. And so we kind of just, like, winged it, basically. Like, it'll probably close up on its own. And eventually it did. It took about till I was, like, I want to say about when I was eight or nine years old, that's when it completely closed. Wow, that's a long time, sis. That's a long mm -hmm. time. But, you know, it happened. And... You you made it through all that. That's 
just as a child. That I mean, that's challenging. It was challenging for me. If you all have not had a feeding tube, it was challenging for me to have one. It is challenging not to be able to eat or drink some water or have anything in your mouth. It is challenging to have someone have to come in and put liquid in that poor liquid in the bag. And five times a day, I get 300 calories. And, you know, it it was just, it it wasn't good. And all medication goes through that tube. Y'all need to know, nothing goes in your mouth when you have a tube like that. Mm. Everything goes through the tube. Medicine, water, food, everything. So that's very difficult to live with and then to have it leak. Wow. So now, now what's happening? Let's say you're 10 years old. What's happening now? So um, at 10, at at 10 years old and really just throughout grade school and even daycare, I was always bullied for my burn scar. And I used to often not tell too much. I used to tell my mom about me being bullied for my burn scar, but I realized it was starting to hurt her feelings because, again, as I said, she witnessed the whole. Yeah. And so in my young mind at the time, I was like, okay, this really hurts mommy feelings. I probably need to not tell her all the time. And so at a young age, I just kind of like suffered in silence a little bit, uh-huh. dealing with the bullying and stuff like that. Um, my teachers at school, and this is when they didn't take bullying very seriously when I was growing up. They kind of just looked at it like, oh, well, they're just going to do it regardless, so deal with it. And it really did bother me a lot because I think, I hate to say, but when I was young, as young as like eight years old, um, I had suicidal thoughts. Yeah, I have heard that from, uh, I mean, that is not an unusual thing to hear from a young child who is bullied and just so you know, as parents, some of them actually act on it. They're able to do it. And it's terrifying to me that, because you don't, at that age, understand the, that you're, you know, making a, a permanent decision for a temporary problem. You know, that mm-hmm. you don't understand that at eight years old. So how did you, oh, gosh, just, that breaks my heart. How did you get through yeah. you? You were taking care of your mom a little bit by not telling her. And Mm -hmm. I think that. So, is that how you got through? And I know, what's your degree in? Psychology. Okay. So, (laughs) everybody needs to (laughs) be. I've had to mention that I I, um, am a recent graduate of my bachelor's degree in psychology from Georgia Southern. So, <laughs> so I know all the all the mental techniques yeah. and stuff like that and behaviors pretty well. So what um, was, how did you get through then? Like how what was it that kept you from acting on that suicidal ideation when you were eight? So at eight, what scared me was that the fact 
what would be the other side be like for me? Right. Meaning like what what would death look like for me? And that's what scared me because I'm like, is it eternal darkness? Like where I'm going? Because I know if I do this, I know I'm not going to heaven. Because <laughs> right. um, I, so, I think it's a good life. Yeah, and I ended up thinking, I was like, no, nah, I better not do that because if I do that, then I will be stuck in darkness. Right. And anyone, you know, anyone out there who's listening to this podcast who um, is thinking about it, I don't have the hotline number right in front of me right now, but it'll be in the comments for the national um, suicide hotline. You can call or text if you need help now, which is amazing. Um, in your time that I don't know, mm. a hotline may have existed, but you couldn't text. I know that. Mm. Uh, well, you're you're uh, 20 years younger. Yeah. So. Um, uh, I think texting got more popular by the time I got into middle school. Okay. So it could be, it could be, yeah, that you could do that. So you got through just basically based on the fear of the unknown. And, you know, I, I, I've been there too. Mm. You know, as I laid on my driveway, I was terrified, you know, on fire. I was terrified. What is the other side? Honestly, that it's is scary. me. That that's what's motivating me now is after being in a coma for a couple of months, I understand that even though my body didn't work, my mind was living somewhere else. My soul, my spirit didn't know what was happening. I was just living another life. So I find a lot of comfort in that now um, mm. because, you know, we, we we're all going to go eventually but I was definitely not ready to go at that moment Maybe. scared and I I didn't feel like I had completed everything that I needed to do in my life and nor had you at eight years old and I think hopefully that's part of what pulled you out even though you didn't realize it that's part of wondering what what does the other side look for me because this side I can do X, Y, and Z. So you got to middle school. How are things going? Middle school, still no better. Bullying got a lot more aggressive because, you know, hormones, yeah. teenagers, you yeah. know. But at that point, I think I was just so emotionally numb at that point. I just didn't, it was like I felt empty. But at the same time, I wanted to live. I, I didn't have suicidal ideations anymore. Right. Uh, but I, I still felt just empty, like I was just existing. Because everything I did to try to stop the bullying, because I went the right way of trying to stop bullying, which was telling the teachers, right. uh, telling my mom, or right. either discussing with the counselor about it, nothing happened. So I started losing hope and um, trust with my teachers too, where I noticing that I started uh, procrastinating 
from my classwork. I had difficulty concentrating and stuff like that because at this point, I'm value, valuing my own sense of safety right. over my education at this point. Because and, and mm-hmm. uh, but the thing was is that what even drew a dagger farther into my heart a little bit is that with my teachers and where I live at Albany, Georgia, doesn't really have a good educational system, um, which is why I moved and went to Savannah, Georgia to get to experience something better. Um, Instead of trying to investigate and try to help alleviate the issue with bullying, they thought that I was, um, dare I say, and maybe offensive, uh, they thought I was mentally challenged. Why? When you're being bullied, why would that is that hurts me? That's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous that, response to a child or 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 a young lady being bullied. That is a so, response to that. Those teachers should, if you're watching, shame on you from from Burn Beauty. You know that. So no help. And an insult. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it definitely insulted my mother because my mother was like, my daughter is, there's nothing wrong with my daughter other than she's a bit timid and she's soft spoken. But once she get once she gets to know you and she feels comfortable around you, she's just like any other child. And so when I was, I think around in maybe fourth or third grade or so, um, I got observed by a child psychiatrist. Uh-huh. I, at the time, I did not fully understood what a psychiatrist was. I just knew I was just happy to be out of the hot sun and not be in the play yard. And I was able to be in the cool air and I sit down with a nice adult. Right. Because I was like, the, the adult was, to me, was the sweetest person I interacted with. Yeah. And she observed me and made sure that I didn't have any uh, learning disabilities or any kind of signs of psychiatric disorders or anything going on with me. And she realized that my psychiatrist that, that was seeing me, she was like, there's literally nothing wrong with her. She does not do to be placed in special ed. She, oh, I just don't understand why, I mean, just because you're, I mean, a person is shy and soft-spoken. That's sweet. A sweet child. And that's not right. You know, that's I, right. I think a lot of it had to do with me. Because um, as I said, I started kind of slacking off in my classes where I was having difficulty concentrating in class because I'm more fixated on trying to make sure Nobody, you know, put the hands on me or do anything crazy to me they're because actually, they're actually mm-hmm. touching you. When they bully you, they're actually touching you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because I've been punched before. I've had people throw stuff at me. So, at that point, I'm just like, I'm guarded. I'm like. Should I 
act like I'm sick and don't want to go to school or should I just kind of like tough it out and just go to school because I don't want to I don't want to fight anymore because if I fight then I'll be viewed as the bad kid and then only as the bad kid I'll be suspended right and then so if I tell on anyone because once you have that reputation it's harder for people to be on your side if you tell Mm -hmm. and I understood all of that at a very young age by observing the kids i'm just like okay that kid got in trouble for fighting and not only that they get suspended and then if the child does try to tell something is wrong with them they kind of immediately look at them as suspect they don't really immediately believe them so i was like kind of tiptoeing a lot to try to make sure yeah. And I was doing that at all at a very young age. Looking back at it, I'm just like, dang, I was, I was just literally a kid. But yeah, we had I to had to do what I high school. You yeah, you had to do what you had to do, and that is amazing. So let's say you get to high school, mm-hmm. and you get through high school. Did the bullying continue in high school, or did, or is it better in high school? Do kids get better because they're more mature or do they just keep going it didn't get any better in high school throughout my whole grade school experience was actually pretty much bullying mm-hmm. it was pretty much the same it was i would say if i had to rate what was the worst was probably my years in elementary and middle school because it was my first hand experience and it was a, a you know put me in a state of shock so I was not used to that kind of aggressive behavior because at home I was mostly by myself at home anyway but I didn't experience like any real aggression I would just be at home watching Spongebob or Blue's Clues or something and go to sleep I didn't have to worry about anyone putting their hands on me my mom never even had to whoop me when I was a kid so you're a good kid I was yeah I was very quiet and I didn't bother anyone. And um, so you graduated. That made me. Oh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I. I'm sorry. No, no, I interrupted. It made you. Um, I would say it made me. Um. A lot more like a huge bully target, by me being quiet, because kids who are very quiet, like I was. A very kind of like the teacher's pet kind of. Um, you're kind of immediately the bully's target because they know you're not going to say anything. They know you may not fight back or anything like that. Right. And I was targeted for that a lot. Um, middle school year for me was very rough because um, this is even a more sensitive topic. So when I was in middle school around, I want to say, I think I was in my eighth grade, eighth grade year, uh-huh. um, I was sexually assaulted by my own father at age 14. Oh, no. Now, was your father in your life? Because you talk about your mother being in the hospital, but I didn't hear father so has your father been in your life all those years uh mm-hmm. or he had, or, was he with your mother and you lived with him or was it a relationship just between you and 
him that you had like uh, like do you know what I'm trying to say like did you live together mm-hmm. with family or were you visiting with him or what so the thing with my father is a very strange and complex thing so um my dad didn't wanted nothing to do with me before i was even born he walked out on the relationship of my mother by going with another woman and so my mom was forced to be a single mother again and so for a great long period of my childhood up until I was 14, my mom was raising me. Okay. So my brother, uh, my oldest brother, he really wanted me and my dad to meet because he felt like it was unfair, you know, for me, because I was the only child at one point that did not know who their dad was all my other siblings did they and matter of fact they had relationships with their dads but it was just not me I was the only one for for a very long time and so my brother got with my dad and I had no idea but my dad did not live not too far from me he was like literally down the street and I would walk by that street all the time wow and I had no I had no idea and then on top of that my daycare, what I used to go to when I was a little girl, his house was behind it. Wow. And and he, he never. And then, so you went to meet him when you were 14, like. Makes me so angry. I can almost not speak. You know, <laughs> it's like I'm mm. in trouble articulating because I, I'm so angry. So you go to meet him for the first time in your life at 14. Do you go to his house or he picks you up? I I would go at first meet, my brother took me Uh and it was an amazing meet because I was like, I finally get to meet my dad. And I was Uh like, this is something that I had always wanted ever since I was a little girl. I used to look at tv shows and i don't know i think i you see my post talking about tv dads and stuff like that where i would imagine like mr rogers being my dad and stuff like that because that's all i ever wanted was a dad and i used to you know want to go to daddy excuse me daddy daughter dances and stuff like that because i just thought oh i want to experience that so bad but the first couple meets with my dad completely normal he wanted to know all what happened to me and you know everything about my childhood because he didn't know that i was burned he didn't know anything about anything right with me and i told yeah so i was like uh yeah you know i'm a burn survivor i showed him my scar and he was like you know, shot. Um, I look just like my dad, by the way. So if, you know, if there was ever a picture side by side, you would think I look like a girl version of him. Yeah. So he never denied that I was his child, but he just didn't want to be a part of me. And that's the part that always broke me. Because uh, he. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, Samuel growing up, I, my 
grandmother and grandfather raised me. Um, mm. And my mother was kind of like her. She was in town, and, but she came to see me, you know, more often. She was actively involved. But um, I thought I knew who my father was, but then many years later, many years at the age you are right now, <laughs> I learned mm-hmm. that that person was not my father. So I've been looking oh, wow. for my real father all um, these years, you know, I've tried ancestry and things. I've not been able to to find him. So I understand um, a lot of your life, the, the things are the same as in mine. Isn't that amazing? When we just talk to people, we can see the so many similarities and so much that we share. But how did you get away from him? He assaulted you. So after two meetings, you're good. And then he assaults you. And I have to close my eyes because it makes me so, you know, like right here. I don't know what that feeling is. You can probably tell me you you have a psychology degree, (laughs) you know, (laughs) feeling right I, I understand the feeling what you're talking about because that was me for a very long time where it just felt like someone just ripped my heart out a little bit. I just felt extremely portrayed. But at the same time, I still wanted to have a relationship because deep down I wanted that that father and daughter relationship. But I had to swallow the the pill of truth and realize that I will never have that right ever and that's something that really broke my heart and and sometimes you know it still makes me sad because i'll look at other children every now and then i'll be like i wish that was me (laughs) i wish i had that i know it's um you have to be careful because like with my kids i was insistent on staying in my first marriage um, that I won't go into, but it was because of that deep want to for them to have the nuclear family. It's going to be mommy, daddy, and the kids, even though mm. it wasn't good for me. Mm. And it didn't, you know, eventually it worked itself out. And um, I know how long did it take for your situation? How, how, how did you get away? How did you get away from that? So when the night I had kind of spent the night with my dad and we were doing like we usually do. We watch America's Funniest Videos. Yeah. But that night, yeah, it's my favorite show. And, um, and so it was raining really hard that night and we couldn't really go anywhere. And we were like, well, we can just stay here and watch the show. And I was laying in his bed. Again, you know, I have, he has has my complete trust because, you know, it's your dad. But I quickly began to realize that, you know, me and him don't really see eye to eye like that with one another. Yeah. Because, I don't know, do you want me to describe the incident? Yeah, uh, yeah, you can do it. Do it. I mean, it, okay. it's part of life. I'll give the trigger warning right here. Yeah. If you've if if you've experienced this, you might 
want to stop. I mean, maybe not graphic detail, but what, you know, what happened. And then the main thing is how do you get away from it after it happens? You know, I mean, that's important for if you're going through something like this. um, Listen, so what happened? So I remember, as I said, I was laying on the bed, you know, stomach flat on the bed. And, you know, I'm not really thinking anything much, but he asked me, can he kiss me? Oh. And in my mind, I'm thinking like a kiss on the forehead or a kiss on the cheek, yeah. you know, something innocent. But, but did he? Instead, he kissed me in my mouth. But like a real. Like, like, like a real. Like, not like a baby. Yeah. 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 But like, like how a man would kiss a girlfriend. Right. And. It weirded me out because I'm like, but then again, I'm like, well, I guess this is normal because I'm like, maybe this is weird to me because I'm not used to having a dad. Right. But that's what I'm thinking. I said, so I'm like, oh, okay. And then next thing you know, he proceeds to touch me between my legs and that's when the assault happens. Luckily, when the assault happened, um, I was clothed. I had on I had on pants. So yeah. I would say, in situations like that, pants are a lifesaver, especially jean pants, because yeah. they cannot easily rip those open or nothing. Yeah. So that I believe what protected me from being actually raped by my oh, own father. Yeah. Did you ever see him? No. um, It was complicated for me to go see him again. I think, yeah, I did go see him again the the next time, but then eventually I said no because I was very frightened that he would go further with it. Right. And I sat down and broke down to my mom because... I was very hurt because I like I have to let go of this idea of having a father. Yeah, because I began to realize he does not see me as a daughter. He probably sees me as a complete stranger than a daughter. But it still weirds me out because I look like him. I look just like him. Is that why you think men are able to do that to their to their daughters or sons or, you know, because it happens to to both that they're, I guess, disassociated from from them and not looking at them as their child. And particularly sometimes when you deal with step-parents and things, they're not looking at them as their child. I've never really thought about that, but it's a sign that I believe so. Uh, I believe so. Because when we went to court, and that was also a very traumatic experience for me because I'm like, having to, I'm having, because immediately when I told my mom, my mom was furious because she was like, I never really want you around him anyway, but I know, you know, you want to see him and you want to be around him, but 
I just, you know, I didn't never want you to be around him. Yeah. And and she felt again like, you know, she wasn't doing a good job as a mom because of that happening to me. And again, I had to let her know I'm like, you didn't know that he was like that. I didn't know he was like that. We we didn't know that he was weird like that. Yeah. And so the very next yeah, the very next day, my mom make a report against my dad, and immediately he is arrested. And they investigated his home and everything. So, of course, um, at a very young age, um, when you're like reporting stuff like like sexual assault and rape, you get victim blamed or either. What did you do? What were you wearing? Yeah. What did you say? No, none of that. None of that. <laughs> Nothing. None of that. Yeah. None of that matters. Yeah. None of that matters. And, <laughs> and that happened to me and I didn't get it. And at one point I did begin to blame myself because I thought I said maybe I did something. But I don't know what I did, though. Yeah, how would but... you? At 14, you wouldn't. There's nothing you can do if you're out there watching. I know this is this is kind of uncomfortable territory, but not really for me because it's real. We all know it happens, you know, you know, mm, 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 it's not going to get us anywhere. So, mm. you know, I, that's why uh, we have to talk to our kids. I'm so glad that your mother took immediate action. Um, yeah, I'm glad she did too. I'm glad she was my biggest supporter alongside with my auntie on my on my father's side of family but this is when I was although my story you know my situation was unfortunate um it was her opportunity to set herself free from her trauma as well because this is where I learned he assaulted her as well so this is not like it's not even a one-time thing. And mm-hmm. is your dad is he still in jail or did he get out or I, he let it go? I'm hoping. I, I personally but you don't hope that he is. I don't see him. I have no real association with my father's side of the family because they basically despise me. They right. feel like um because you don't want to be physically assaulted by your father. Yeah. You know, that's that's part of the problem, you know, with, with I mean, if your family member does something like this, you know, mm-hmm. don't, don't blame the victim, you know, don't blame the victim. Because, yeah, so basically, um, my what he did to his sister, which is my auntie, um, was far worse because he actually did. All the way. He actually yeah. Went there. So, so after so, that, yeah, that's just you've gone through. So far, you've had medical problems from birth, a burn from the IV, then you continue to deal with the medical problems, bullying, and then uh, incest. Said incest. Well, improper. I- Right, it's yeah. I mean, it's weird. Yeah, (laughs) you know, being improperly touched and assaulted, 
are embattered by by someone you trust. And now you're only, you know, you're 14 years old and you get through high school. And then how did you, how did you end up where you are now? How did you get, how did you overcome those things to, to say, I, I, you know, I want to go to college. I want to get away from here. How did you do that? So it all started when I was 18, when I was on the verge of, you know, you know, after graduating from school and stuff, I was like, I'm gonna take me a year cap and try to, cause I was like, I had been through a buttload of stuff, like a heap of trauma. And so I said, I'm gonna try to use my gap year to focus on me and heal and take as much time as I need to heal from this. Because what I've been through was a lot. And I said, there's no way in the world that I would be able to go straight to college and have all this trauma, you know, built in my back on, on me like that. So it started with me I always said it start with, started with my head because what I did is I cut my hair off. <laughs> my mom was furious because she thought, why would you cut your hair? When women I wanted... Does it change? <sighs> that is so true. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to cut my hair. And I want to teach myself how to love myself. And because when you have really long hair you can hide things that you don't like about yourself mm-hmm. That's true. and so and so with shorter hair you can't hide nothing you have to accept it for what it is and so i built my time dedicated to loving bits and bits of part of myself every day so as a ritual every day when i get up in the morning I'll look at myself and find something that I love. I said, I have some pretty eyes. Or, you know, my hair is actually really pretty in its natural state. And I would just go on and on and on and on about it. And so by the time I get to, um, I want to say, I think I was 20 or 21, I felt more comfortable going back to school. And ideally, I want to go to a technical school because I want to try to avoid debt. But as I said, I don't have really a real family system. And so at the time, I didn't have a job or nothing. And so I couldn't afford to pay for my application fee for to go to college. And so I almost gave up on gave up on going going back to college. I mean, going to college, and so I said, "Well, I'm gonna try this school." And luckily, the school down the street, which was Darton at the time, they offered a free application free uh, a free application for me. And I was like, "Oh, I can go here and and start my education." Um, going to college was also not very easy for me because my family. Uh, has not always been the most supportive role in my education. It's always been really me kind of having to push myself forward 
in in my education ever since I was in elementary school. So it's always been me pushing myself. Right? Maybe it's just mm-hmm. not. Maybe they just don't know how to focus on that. You know, I had that same issue as well. Are you a first generation mm-hmm. college graduate? Um, no, my sister, she's graduated college, oh, my, right. and my mom point. has too. Is this? I just don't really know why, but I, I can kind of understand with my sister as to why she is the way she is with me because she kind of has a bit of a grudge against um, our mom for moving on to another relationship and having me. Because at the time, uh, I think my mom was still technically married to their dad, but he was in prison. He was in prison for uh, drug trafficking. So this is all so complicated. It's a very complicated family structure. But you still mm-hmm. don't have that. I thought of, you know, I'm, not, I'm just thinking about it. I mean, I can tell you about mine one day. <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. so complicated. But how did you get, how did you end up on that bus headed to Savannah? Or did you started school there in Albany, right? Mm-hmm. And how long did you go to school there? And I want to say I went, started going for about a year, but things were getting so crazy and chaotic at Darton because they had merged with Albany State. Uh-huh. And at the time, Albany State got in trouble for stealing students' money. And uh-huh. that really scared the Bajibis out of everyone, especially me, because getting uh, financial aid is really difficult. Right. And so for someone to steal it from us, it's scary because, you know, right. It's literally all of our income that we use to pay for our books, our classes, and, and, and so forth. And everything, yeah. So after that happened, is that when you decided to go to um, Savannah? Yeah. So I remember going to Savannah during my, uh, you know, senior year trip. We went to, yeah. we went to um, Savannah State. And I said, oh, I really like it here. And when I was um, in high school, I was like, oh, this is really nice here. And so one day I want to live here. And so I thought about when I was a teenager, when I first came to Savannah, I was like, oh, I can go and move to Savannah. It's not too far from Albany. And then all of that, to travel there, it won't be too costly for me. Right. And so my first idea was to um, drive up there. And at the time being, no one was willing to drive with me to go up there because I don't really travel that often. Um, So I'm just like, okay. Yeah, I'm like, I really would want somebody to travel with me so I could be safe and whatnot and not, you know, make the wrong detour or whatever and stuff like that. And so I'm just like, but no one was willing to let me go alone. A matter of fact, they didn't want me to go to Savannah. They didn't want me to leave at all, but I felt like that life at home in Albany was not good for me, nor was it truly safe because I didn't have any support there. Like literally, I, yeah. I was on the verge of you know being homeless. 
when I was in Albany. Really? I, I, mm-hmm. I didn't really have any, any kind of real support. Although my mom would help me, but she's only one person. So yeah. yeah. So you so you start driving. So you drive to Savannah. Mm-hmm. What happens? Well, I barely even get it to Savannah because at the time my sister was driving the car really because I would we would drive we would take turns driving and so at the time I think we were in Cordill I think we're in Cordill and it's like morning early morning because you're not thinking nothing is going to happen early in the morning and next thing you know my sister kind of lose focus on the road and she swerves off the road and she we let first land we first she first hit a light pole and then we land into a ditch and then we propelled onto a hill how we made it alive i still have no idea my cat was in the car as well so he was all flipped up but all i can remember and I'm not even thinking about myself. This is how much of a crazy cat lady I am. Um, I didn't think to protect myself from the glass or nothing. I'm holding on to his carrier as top as tightly as I can to the point I ripped it. Um, I wish I still had that carrier because it it was evident of it being broken. But I think I threw it away. But um. I held on to it so tight so he won't be hurt. And so luckily he was not hurt. And I was not hurt. I just walked on out the, the car like nothing happened. And I was like, okay. Um, the ambulance had called by. They were checking. I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. But what's next then? Now, now your car just wrecked and you're in Cordell and you're trying to get to Savannah. Hey, what, what's next? How do you? So, you so at that point, my auntie came by, picked me up. It was such an uncomfortable ride back home to Albany. I had to because, go <sighs> yeah, I, I drove back to Albany. But at that point, everybody from all of my family were trying to dis- discourage me from going to Savannah to the point they were using like weird, um uh excuses as to not to go like i still laugh at my auntie's excuse and to the point where she said you know i went to jail in savannah i was like what they got to do with me what is that yeah <laughs> what was you doing it was saint patrick's day and you're never what did you do <laughs> and i'm just like i was like i had never been to jail but anywho, I was. Yeah. So, what did you do though? So, you had unenrolled from Albany State or Darden, whatever it was, whatever it's well, called. It's Albany. It's Albany State. So, yeah. you're unenrolled from there. You're not in college, and you don't mm-hmm. have a job there because you were moving to Savannah. So, what? What do you do? So, luckily, my way to Savannah is that I got accepted into a college in Savannah, which was South University, which also offered a free um, application. 
And then I said, oh, this is my opportunity to leave here because I endured a lot of like emotional and just financial abuse when I was with my family. And so I realized if I don't leave now, I'll never leave. Right. And so um, I looked at that opportunity of being accepted at that college as the great escape for my situation. So by driving by car, it didn't work out. And at this time, I returned back home. Everybody's, you know, is trying to sway me not to do it, don't do it, don't do it. Or either, uh, you know, calling me, you know, I know my brother, he had called me a witch. And, you know, saying I was evil witch or something. Yeah. It was weird. I was like, okay. Huh? So how are you going to get to Savannah? How are you going to get to the school? So I realized that no one at that point was willing to help me get there. Uh And luckily at the time, because at the right around the same time when I got accepted to that job, I mean, accepted to the school, I got a job. It was not the best job. It was like a, I was like a a pet vendor for a blue buffalo. Really crummy job. But it was something I was like, I'm going to use all the little little paychecks that I've been, you know, I've been saving so I can get a bus pass. And so, and so I used all my savings that I was saving from the job that I was working for Blue Buffalo, because I was working there for a little bit for some time, not very long. Yeah. And um, I said, well, let me use my savings to buy a bus ticket, because I'm like, I have no one who is willing to take me, cars total. So, and I still, and I am also said, I am not leaving here without my cat. You're coming with me. So I was very determined. So I come up with the plan because I realized that cats are not, I mean, animals are not allowed to be on the bus. Right. So the bag that I had, his carrier that I had at the time looked like a regular duffel bag, but it was actually a cat carrier. So I disguised it even more to look like a duffel bag. So I got one of his blankets. And I tied the duffel, tied the carrier on to make it look more like a duffel bag. So I covered the screening part where you could see him visibly, visibly um, with the blanket. So I tied it up there tight. And so once I got ready to go to the bus station, um, my Uber driver that I called to take me to the bus stop, and this is even more stranger. So my Uber driver has has a daughter who had a similar condition as I did. Oh. And then she she was born with acid reflux. And I said, oh, yeah, I was born with acid reflux. And she was like, how did the surgery go? I was like, well, mine's was tricky. And um, but she should survive. She should do well. And the driver was amazed by me because I was like, yeah, we have a similar yeah. condition. So right there. And, and he was as path right then right you know you're mm-hmm. you're going the right direction That's yeah awesome. and that that made me feel I was like okay this is the right direction yeah so when I get up there to the bus station I did not know I had to pay for my luggages because I don't ride the bus oh. that often 
So at first I was like, oh no. And I showed him, I, you know, I said, I was in a car wreck recently and I'm just getting this bus ticket at short notice. I didn't know anything about this. I'm trying to just get to college. Luckily, and I don't know, I, I just blessed the people at the Greyhound um, bus place that they, they were, they just waved it and they said, don't worry about it. Just put all your stuff in this box and we make sure nobody will take it. But Michael's in there. Michael's not in the box. Oh, okay. Okay. I was gonna say, okay. <laughs> Good. Michael, Michael is not in the box because I explained to them, I said, this is my personal stuff because I acted like it was like emergency stuff in there. And really. And I was oh, like, and I'm like, yes, emergency stuff in here, like my, my license, my wallet and stuff. And actually, I did have that with me around me, but it wasn't in his carrier. Right. And so I remember getting before on the bus and sitting down with him on the bench. The carrier is still covered and looks like a regular duffel bag. Right. And I remember squinching up to him at the screen where he can kind of see me. I'm like, Michael, if you say anything and if you move, you will no longer be by my side. Oh. You will be forever separated from me. You hear me? Uh-huh. I cannot control that to take you away from me. So if you don't want that to happen and you don't want to be separated from me, please be quiet and hold completely still until we get to Savannah. Can you do that for me? And he looked at me dead in my eyes and it was as if he agreed and he did not say anything during a full eight hour ride to Savannah. Wow. (laughs) He didn't move, he didn't move, he didn't didn't do anything. And I was just completely in awe of him. Like I was more as amazed with him than I was of myself. Because like, I'm just like you, but that's good, Michael. Yeah. All right. <laughs> High five, Michael. Okay, so you get to Savannah. We're getting your story is so complex that we're a little over an hour. So if y'all are watching, just, oh, I'm just, sorry. No, don't be sorry. Your story has so much to it that it not everything fits in a box. Not everything fits in a box. <laughs> so I don't worry about stuff like that. So. You get to Savannah, though, Michael makes it because he's a smart baby. And then what? Do you have a place to live? Did you have a dorm set up already at the college? Mm-hmm. So you rolled into town. Did you have money? Did you have a place to live? So luckily, I did able were able to find a place to live through a couch surfing website. Oh, it okay. wasn't the best it wasn't the best spot to be at because the lady was kind of passive aggressive at times because she had two poodles and I felt so bad having to leave my kid out there by himself with the dogs. And the so poodles are mm-hmm. oh. They were big poodles. They were sweet, but then I was just very terrified for my cat yeah. because no, she, no. you know, described as one of her dogs as being a hunter. And, you know, dogs who hunt, they, they just go after anything. She had a poodle hunter? Mm-hmm. 
she's being passive aggressive. I don't think. Well, maybe poodles do hunt. I don't know. <laughs> I have a hunting dog. He doesn't like a poodle, but so you're couch surfing going to college. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what happens? What I saw you were. Are you? Are you? Uh, you're working, going to college, and couch surfing. For mm-hmm. how long did you have to do that? When I was couch surfing, it wasn't very long. Um, I couch surfed, I think about about two and a half months, cause I grew increasingly uncomfortable. Like yeah. I didn't feel comfortable being in this person's space, and I'm not paying anything. I'm just in this stranger's home, you know. Oh, free? Oh, yeah. That people let you say for free. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, was, she was really nice about it, but then I was like, but then she wasn't you know. nice about it, right? Yeah, <laughs> she was nice, but she wasn't nice. Yeah, and I'm like, let me hurry up and get out of this situation because I offered to let her know that I don't mind paying because at the time I was working, I, I had a job and stuff like that, and I was very determined to try to find a place to live because. At the university that I was attending to, South University, it was a private school. Um, they they used to offer housing, but they no longer had offered housing because they were losing a lot of money uh, around that time when I was attending. I don't know how it's going now because last time I was going there, they were just doing a massive firing of people. So were you able to switch to a college that had housing mm-hmm. or has housing to you? Uh, what did you switch to? So I switched to Georgia Southern. Um, now, I got my first apartment when I was in um, when I was in um, South University. Oh, and okay. at South University, I made the toughest decision to let myself go to a homeless shelter. And this is the part that I mentioned in the news article where... Where I said, well, I don't feel comfortable staying with this lady because although she may be okay one day, but one minute she may switch on me or something like that. I don't know. So I said, let me submit myself to a homeless shelter. So I used the money that I had from working to get myself an Uber. And I used the rest of my other savings that I had to put my cat and uh in a lodging um stay the uh, veterinarian office that offer lodging and so i said michael i'm sorry but you're gonna have to stay at this laundry because it had to be so hard for you yeah it was really really hard for me i would admit that so every payday i'll make sure i'll come by the office and pay for his lodging. It was very, it was quite expensive, but I didn't mind paying for it because, you know, I saw him as my responsibility. And you know, did you stay in the homeless shelter? I stayed in the homeless shelter, and I was going to school. So I would go to school and homeless shelter and work all back to back. For how long? I did it for about, I want to say up to three to four months. Oh, that's until, 
until um I was able to find a house. I mean, a house, but I wish a house, but uh, an apartment. It wasn't the best apartment. It was really crummy. But I was like, it's the only thing I could find right now that's not only, you know, affordable, but it's also not too far from school. And not only that, but it was also very um, uh, close to everything. It had a, it was close to the grocery store within walking distance. So I was like, I can at least walk to the store and whatnot. Yeah, perfect. And so, so I saw this as perfect. I was like, okay. Although the landlord was awful, I had an awful landlord, but I was like, I'm like, I still have a place to stay. I still have a roof on my head. And then only that, I had my cat. So I remember being united with my cat because at the time I made friendship with a lady at um, South University and she found someone who could help foster my cat while I was in the process of moving into my apartment. And I still remember it like it was yesterday. I went to his foster home for a minute to get him and he was so happy to see me. He ran to me. He just ran to me. And and the people who were at the, they were like, you know, because when he was there being fostered by them, um, they say he would not come from out of the bed or nothing. He was just dreadfully he was, just scared. Mama. But, you know, so he's going through a hard time too. But as I was reading your story, I read, this was an amazing part the lady that assisted you, because right now you're still at South University, right? South University. Mm -hmm. so, so then where did you graduate from and how did you get there? So I graduated with Georgia Southern. Right. So Paula Hall, who is the lady in the article, she did not like what I was enduring at South University because she was like, you have, they didn't offer you no housing. You don't get any kind of real support. Like, what are they doing? They're just taking your money because it was a really expensive school. And what? so, is, yeah. And she was like, we're going to get you to Georgia Southern. It's a public school. You don't have to spend that much money to go there. And not only that, they'll offer you housing. And so eventually, um, I didn't live, I didn't live on campus, but I, as I said, I got my own apartment. And so that's when I was finally able to move out, out of the shelter and live in my own place for a bit. But after staying in that apartment for about a year, which is very horrible because I experienced stalking. I was, you know, all kinds of weird stuff happening. I would say the men in Savannah are very weird. So that's uh, something that quick, uh, quickly realized. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. Don't message me. <laughs> I'm I've been there. It's a beautiful, beautiful city with good food. Not to say all the men. There are some great men here, but most of the canter are pretty weird. I was just making a joke. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so you're probably, you know, you're a beautiful young lady and, you know, men need to respect that just because you're a beautiful young lady, that does not mean you are interested 
in them or want to talk to them. So, you know, it <laughs> just, and lady men and ladies alike, everyone needs to respect that maybe, maybe someone doesn't want to talk to you. <laughs> so that probably created some stalking for you. But at least, you know, you were with Michael and Miss Paula, she, Paula, she um, helped you with, uh, your um, fee and to get in the school and you had met her where so this is when i don't know it was one day because as i said i had a really crummy landlord and so my landlord took out of my bank account twice uh for my rent and they refused to give me my money back because I was like, okay, so at that point, I literally didn't have any real money left over, like to buy food or groceries or anything. So wow. for for days and weeks, I didn't really have anything to eat. Wow. And so I began to muster up and realize, okay, so I'm going to have to go to these food banks that my friend from Georgia Southern, South University, gave me and I said, Oh, I can go to the Salvation Army, not Salvation, but Second Food or Harvest. It wasn't too far from the apartment I was staying at. It was like a I'd say like about two miles away, two or maybe a half a mile away. And I was like, I can take the bus to go there and try to see if they can help assist me with some food. Cause I didn't think they were gonna give me food food. I would think they were gonna show me where I can get food you know give me information at the food bank they give you food food yeah mm -hmm. so she gave you food and then yeah she helped you with your uh get into georgia southern with your fees and then yeah. you got a room because you're at georgia southern you could get a dorms that's a lot less crummy right mm -hmm. <laughs> and a lot less crummy than people who take your rent twice and don't give it back so you realize where you are at this point, Sanyel, you have overcome. It's like you've run hurdles your whole, your whole life. And you overcome, overcame every one of them. And you had some uh, intervention, some divine intervention with uh, your friend Paula coming in and, and see, being able to see you like the way I see you, being able to see you and invest your own money to get you into school. I mean, that's, that is paying it forward, y'all. That is, that is changing the world a little bit at, at a time. And she's already working at a food bank. I wish, I, I'm hoping to, you know, I'm still trying to recover from my burns, but I'd love to be able to physically you know, do things like that, like stand up for a whole day and help people. And it's going to come, you know, my body doesn't do that right now, but it will, you know? So <laughs> what do you do? How do you pay it back? Because unfortunately, I hate to wrap this up, but I know we need to. No, no, no. <laughs> but it's okay. I, I should. It's a wonderful story to me. I just feel like there's so many takeaways from it. Um. What do you do now? I'm in the article. It seems uh, that you've you made it all the way through, and you you graduated this year 
with the mm-hmm. bachelor's in psychology from Georgia Southern. And do you go back to the food bank? I did. I, I always said as a payback, because I, I, one day I would love to give her, you know, money, like pay her back. But she doesn't really care for money, but I, I you feel want, like I should pay her. I, I want to pay her back. Yeah, she, I said, yeah she, she doesn't mind. She, the best thing you gave her was this year when you graduated. So what's next for Sanya? We'll wrap it up, but where are you headed? You've graduated. Are you going to stay for post-grad or what are you going to do? Um, question I'm going to start asking every guest. So if you're watching, the question is, what's next? For me, I want to start living a life where I am thriving. I think I'm ready to thrive because all through my life, I have been surviving and surviving is one thing, but thriving is another. Yes. And that's something that surviving has carried me through so long. Really? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I need to get out this comfort zone of surviving. I need to get comfortable with thriving. Yeah. That so. takes, you know, that takes something. Because I'll tell every one of y'all, I it took me a long time to accept just starting to thrive. I don't I don't know if I'm fully thriving right now because I sometimes you feel, you know, the the karma is so good when you do good things and you live a good life, then good things happen to you like you know, all the intervention that you had from Paula and that's what helped you because you're a good person. Good things came back to you, period. And um, as I started to do Third Beauty, good things have started to happen and it's fantastic. But sometimes it's hard for us, I think, to accept it because I just, you know, my what what's next was just, I just want to, help others and I didn't realize that I need to continue helping myself. I've always worked my whole life. I've always earned. So what 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 you you want to thrive, but do you want to stay in Georgia or do you want to travel or do you want to how do you want to do it? How do you I do personally it? would love to travel, but then again I keep thinking about all these monkey pops and stuff. I'm just like I'm just like, okay, maybe maybe go to a different state. Ideally, I would love to live somewhere I up north. Yeah. Um because I feel like I feel so limited here in the south. Maybe west. West, west progressive. Yeah, yeah. I love man, I, I've I've not had a lot of experience in the West, but I went to San Francisco once and I loved it very much. <laughs> it's, it's just a whole different place. And I know my daughter one day may move out to the out West because she's you know, very progressive. She's a nurse now, but you know, she's mm-hmm. artistic like me, piercings, tattoos, that's the kind of thing. It runs in the family. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. Yeah, they're more <laughs> accepting so maybe north or west for you and uh i think are you looking for employment or are you looking to continue postgraduate work 
I'm looking for employment. So right now I'm doing internship at a homeless uh, shelter organization here in Savannah to not only pay back my dues, but also make sure I have a little bit of money to the side. But I am looking for more like full-time employment up north. Because I said, I don't know why, but I, I keep that's wanting to go up north. It's cold. <laughs> and that's what a lot of people say, but I'm like, I like the cold. Because I, You know what? I guess I do too, because I love going to the mountains. I went mm-hmm. to the best thing I've ever seen is uh, Mont Blanc in Chamonix, France. Best thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh, wow. Uh, and it was a month before I almost died. So travel says you go to the north or you go wherever you want to. And will you, um, so just looking for a job, I mean, not just, but looking for a job up north. And I mean, you made it. You you, you did it, Samuel. You did it. You understand that, right? Oh, yes. I, at one point, I felt like, you know, okay, I did it. What's next? But then again, I'm like, relax. You've done so much. Give yourself a break. You've done, yeah, take the year off. Take the year off from school or whatever you're going to do. Do you plan to get a doctorate or work um, as the with the bachelor's in psychology? So my idea with education, because I said, well, I'm going to work for two years. And for two years, after the two years are over, then I'll go back for a master's degree in being a mental health counselor. There you go. So. That's wonderful. I knew knew you would have something in there. That's why I kept asking. (laughs) (laughs) I've been working. So um, you're just a really wonderful example. And guys, if you're watching, you know, we took some extra time today, but we always talk about overcoming things as we go. And that's what teaches us to continue overcoming. Overcomers don't just overcome one thing. You, even if it's small things that you overcome in your life, that or some small, some big, you know, then when you get to a big thing, uh, us being assaulted, being burned, being homeless, being basically everything, being, <laughs> you know, as a child, everything that you've been through is basically a big thing. And you're the only person I know like that, uh, you know, that I know well like that personally. So just if you're out there, take the time to watch and listen to her. She is happy. She is smiling and she's looking to Thrive. Thank Not you so much. Thank you. What would you want people to know? If you uh, any last any last statement before we say goodbye? I would say, don't let the darkness overcome you. Oh, don't let it overcome yeah. you. It's important to let the light in. Absolutely, absolutely. That was beautiful. Well, don't let the darkness overcome you. And we both thank you so much for watching and listening. Please remember the best thing you can do if you like this episode is 
subscribe, like, comment, share, send it to someone you know that needs to hear what she said. If you know someone, we all do. Share it with them. And that's the biggest compliment we could have. So I thank you so much for joining us. And just remember, whatever you're going through, this too shall pass. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone. Bye.